My name is Michael Guyett, publisher of The Lead Lag Report. Joining me there is Andrew Moss. Now, Andrew, it's been a minute since you and I have done a space. I think you saw that I had reposted a post that you put out around small cast. We're going to be talking about that as well as just market dynamics. But introduce yourself to the audience. Who are you? What's your background? What have you done throughout your career? And what are you doing, Carl? Hey, Michael. Thanks for having me back. It's nice to be here again. And uh, nice of you to get the small caps up on a day that we're slated to talk about IWM and all that kind of thing. So my name is Andrew Moss. I'm a chartered market technician. I'm a professional trader with T3 Trading Group. You've seen us on uh, Twitter and around. Lots of really smart folks that I work with there. And I come to this industry by way of being a PM at Morgan Stanley and client advisor for about 20 years before that. So I've seen the market from several different time frames and points of view. And just trying to make sense of the charts and figure out where the risks and the opportunities are. So that's what led me to to focus on the small caps here recently, and something we've been paying a lot of attention to. All right, so let let's get into this because I think people misconstrue a lot of what I try to emphasize when I say small caps hold the key. Um, use that term, the market. I always go back to the market is more than just the S and P. I, I, I do believe you have to look more towards the constituents and see what's happening in terms of underlying momentum and trends and sectors and cap to really get a sense of the real direction of the market as opposed to if it's just being sector-specific only. only driven that way, which we're, we see with tech here. First of all, let, let's talk about from the CMT perspective, from the tournament market efficiency perspective. Do small caps matter at all? When you when you go back and think about the, the curriculum, the exams, um, what, what is it about about the definition of the market? When it comes to a technician, uh, that that matters because I think this is where divergence is, which is part of what being a technician is about, uh, does come into play. I think uh, first I couldn't agree more. There, uh, the, the market is much more than the S and P five hundred. There's many many different markets, and and yet when most folks talk about quote the market, they're they're talking about the S and P five hundred or even the older crowds that still talk about the Dow 30. That's, that's the market. There's so much more. There's, there's medium caps, there's small caps, there's crypto, there's bonds. All of this kind of stuff makes up the market. And looking at the relationship of all of these different things, that, that intermarket analysis is a huge part of the technical picture. It is for me. It is for part of the studies. I know you don't do a lot of work in that space. And it's really important to me, anyway, to, to look at how the different Markets are behaving in relation to one another, how they're interacting with one another. We've heard it time and again, rotation is the lifeblood of a bull market. And so that's we've got to watch how money flows, where it flows, when it's moving in and out of these different areas. And all of that has important implications on the market as overall and the markets as the smaller pieces within. I think from an intermarket perspective, we can agree that what's really been holding back small caps has really been rates, has been bonds, right? The narrative throughout 2022 was tech's not going to like higher rates. It's really small caps that don't like higher rates. Yeah, and the question of why is always interesting because yes, like the old joke, yes, 10 economists, you get 15 different answers or something like that. But I think that makes sense. It's a logical perspective. Smaller companies are going to have maybe a harder time borrowing the money they need to grow. It, it, when they do borrow that money, it's going to cost them more as opposed to an Apple or a Microsoft or somebody that's just got mountains of cash that they, they don't care what the short-term interest rates are because they don't need to borrow the money. So, yeah, it makes sense that that's a, a big factor weighing on the smaller companies. So I guess the question becomes, do you need to have rate fall, right, for small caps to have that long-awaited breadth thrust? If you had that, 
lifeline from November to December, right? right. When suddenly everyone started talk, talked about the Fed cutting rate, and that's what caused small caps really towards the end of no, November into December to really run. But you're still really just meandering in a big sideways movement. Yeah, you might break out, but you're still roughly at the resistance level on the Russell 2000. But you can see that not just in small caps, but also mid-consumer stocks like retailers, in particular XRT. So if that's what has held back that part of the market, do you really need bonds to to rally in price, fall in yield for that to get some secular momentum? Well, it, it makes a lot of sense. And and again, the the, the question of, of why or what's it going to take is is important for me as a trader, though. I'm, I'm looking beyond that a little bit of further into what are the practical applications. So, yeah, it's nice to know what it might take or what the scenario might set up to be to propel small caps higher. But but I'm shifting my focus here a little bit and thinking, does it really matter? Is, is yes, small caps are key. Yes, we want to see them go up with the rest of the market. But is that going to keep us from being able to make money in the larger and, and mid-sized companies. And what we're seeing right now is obviously there's a, a lot of indices, a lot of the bigger companies at or close to new highs. Granted, the Magnificent Seven, several of those are still well below. You got Amazon off about 20% from all-time highs and, and a few more examples there. But the, the point is there's been a lot of opportunity. And so I look at this and I, and I want to be aware of the Russell of what IWM is doing, but at the same time, we, we gotta we gotta acknowledge all of the opportunity and all the good things that are happening, and 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 take a step back and say, okay, is this this is something I'm aware of, but is it really affecting my ability to to find good trade setups, make good profits, even for the longer term folks, put together a a, a, a solid portfolio, that kind of thing. So, and right now, it, it doesn't seem to be much of a hindrance. So, I want to see it go up. That chart that I posted that you were kind enough to repost for me there. It's it's a nice breakout. We certainly want to see that participation, but lack of participation doesn't necessarily make it a deal breaker for me. Yeah, I think if, if, I, if I think from a more fundamental cause and effect point of view, I, that, that question doesn't matter. It, it, it matters when it matters, and then when it matters, it's the only thing that matters, right? Exactly. Part of, part of the, the issue here is, which is why I get nervous about this sort of overly optimistic bull case, even when it comes to large caps. If we agree, if it makes sense, right, that small caps have been held back because of zombie company dynamics, they have to refinance the higher rates. The longer it takes for rates to not fall, the closer you are to the refinancing, right? Mm-hmm. And these companies then maybe not uh, surviving. And if you end up having, let's say small caps don't make new nominal highs. Let's say they, they do what they did toward the end of October of last year, they break the lows again, right? That, I, I worry if that's a, then it's more than just a chart, then it's an implication on the economy, which would at some point then factor into the S&P. I think that's where it's a question mark, right, as to whether it's, it matters for large caps or not. If small caps are going to at some point have some real real issues in terms of refinancing, right, it's going to impact unemployment. I think that's a good way to put it. it it's, yeah, we, we want to see participation. We want to see the market falling on, uh, firing on all cylinders. And, and right now, maybe it's lacking one or two. Again, are we looking for too perfect of a scenario? And and so to shift it a little bit, okay, if 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 IWM and small caps are making new highs, is that a problem? And then to drill down a little further, like you said, if 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 they're not making new highs, then they're staying the same, or are they going lower? And and so what are the warning signs if things really start to if if it's going to be an early indication of symptoms in the in the underlying economy, then that's what we want to want to be on the lookout for. So what are the things that are, that would signal potential trouble ahead? And, and I think we'll, 
let's let's get to that and dig into that a little further. But before we do, just looking at the S and P compared to IWM, we've seen these instances before where IWM can stay virtually flat. Obviously, there's some oscillation there, but looking back at like the period from October 18 to to, to November of of 19, and, and of course, when you're talking about that time. Time frame, you've got to remember the the Christmas Eve miracle they call it. The big dip we had in December there is the is, is the Fed did something. I don't recall the exact specifics, but there was some monetary policy issues there that drove stocks lower. But then for that time frame, it took the IWM a lot longer to get back to new highs. And so from from that October to November, it was virtually flat. And the S and P went up eleven percent. And then when the IWM did break out and get into new area, the S and P added a lot more. And of course, we know how that blow off top ended, but that's. That's a topic for another story. And then again, in February of 21 on through uh, October of 21, again, lots of back and forth, but the IWM didn't really make any any upward progress while the S&P went up nearly seven, 17%. Then we had that failed breakout in, in, in November 21, which everybody agrees was the, the peak of the, of the market for that year. The meme stocks were going crazy. Everything had gotten way overblown. And then so we had the came into the bear market that came from that. And now we're, we're here again. The IWM is, is a little below where it was in April of 22. And the S&P is a little above where it was at that time and back into back into new highs. So we, we, we can have progress. We can have the large and the medium companies going up even while small cap doesn't. But, but it is something that we want to pay attention to. Which is get get into a broader discussion around breadth because it's more than just small caps, right? So there's there's two dynamics at play. One is that uh, really the only other sector that's pushing all time highs is tech. The industrials were, were you know, earlier, I think, were the end of December, and then I think peaked out last I checked. But yeah, it's really been tech that's been driving this. Mm-hmm. And I, I put out that that yes, there are also three thousand, which you know, I'd argue is a better proxy for in quotes the market, even though it's still market cap weighted. 84% of the stocks in the Russell 3000 are still trading below their 2021 respective peaks. Now, there's two ways of interpreting that. One is, well, that's incredibly bullish because there's a catch-up trade and there's a lot of opportunity to make money there and that's your secular argument. But the other part of this is, well, if after all of this, a lot of these stocks are still below their 2021 peak, they're still in their drawdown, every day that goes by, the in quotes bull market gets old, right? And cycles still come into play. So. From a technical perspective, do you do you look at the totality of the of the constituents and say, okay, it's more than just the idea that small caps aren't participating. It's also that we're still really off from that 2021 level when the bear market really started. It it's interesting to me this this debate around breadth is obviously something's got a lot of airtime and conversation, and and I don't everybody's got their pre- preferred method. I'm always a proponent of saying that there's. What works for you or anybody else that may not work for me, that doesn't make it wrong. It doesn't make it, some things are better than others, but there's just, there's so many different ways to go about it. And when I look at Brett, and, and it's, and I do this every Saturday morning, I, I take a step back and look at the bigger picture with a chart, a, a thread of weekly charts. And, and some of the things that I include on a regular basis are like the percentage of stocks above their 50 and 200 day moving averages and S&P 500 components, the bullish percent indices, the equal weight indices like RSP and QQEW. And granted, those are those get down into the mid caps. They don't they don't really include small caps per se, if we take the definition up to two billion dollars or whatever it is. But there's you can look at the new highs or the the number of stocks making new six month highs, all these kind of things. There's so many different ways to account for breadth 
that it seems like if you look hard enough, you can find whatever you're seeking. And so to me, those are the ones that I tend to focus on. And I did get under the surface a little bit. I think it's important to look at, at the, the, like the, the chart that you posted with 84% of stocks. Yeah, that's, that's concerning when you've got so, such an overwhelming majority of those stocks that aren't at or near new highs. But then, and I don't have the data, but you got to consider when you're looking at the Russell 3000, you've got, let's just, Say, for example, you're looking at the S&P 500, the 500 biggest companies, and then 2,500 of the other companies that may, may or may not even add up to equal the market cap of those top 500. So, the, again, the implication is, does it really matter? Is, it, does that, is that going to hinder the overall market? Is it going to keep me from finding good trade setups? Is it, is it a signal of, of underlying trouble in the overall economy? All those kind of things. And, and I keep coming back to the fact that there's so many things working. Like we, the 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 dollar's pretty stable, yields are pretty stable. Um, you know, the bigger companies are getting bigger, and that's a concern, and that's a that's an argument that keeps coming up. It's all the Mag Seven, it's all the big companies, and they're just gobbling everything up and getting bigger. But you know, it doesn't mean that it's not a strong market, in my opinion. So that's those are the kinds of things I'm looking at, and and to take it back the other way, if we see what what are the risks, if we see yields start head back up. If we see the dollar, which it's been stronger here the last couple of weeks, it's something I watch very closely and um, it, it, it's it's not going wild, but it is something we got to keep an eye on. And if we see the, the Russell 2000 or the small caps really breaking down and, and going the wrong direction, then we've got risk alerts going off. But right now, I'm just, I'm, I'm watching, but not terribly alarmed by the situation. Yeah, and I, I guess it's a question of the perspective. Like I call this a, a concentration bubble. Now, oftentimes when you use that word bubble, it sounds like, okay, that means you're going to collapse, right? The bubble will deflate. But if it's a concentration bubble, then it resolves in one of two ways. Either large caps catch down or small caps catch up, right? It's a, yep. it's a relative uh, differential. That does, though, become interesting because part of, the, part of the dynamic here also does relate to growth versus value, sector composition, um, because obviously, you know, growth is more tech, value is more you know, everything else, largely. So when you when you look at where we are in the cycle, are you looking at style tilt sector leadership? You know how long sectors have led for for maybe you know inflection points? Because yeah, uh, okay, granted, definitely there have been plenty of great trades still ongoing in large cap tech, but you always want to be on the lookout for turning points. You know, and I don't, I haven't looked at the length of leadership for different sectors in in that kind of way specifically, but I do keep an eye on discretionary versus staples, growth versus value large versus small, like we've been discussing and that kind of stuff. And and to me, it seems, again, you put all this together with the election cycle and seasonality, and it, 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 there's the opportunity still seems to be to the upside. And if anything, we've got, we've got a chance to look for catch-up trades in the smaller companies as opposed to the large companies moving down to kind of to catch up to the downside. And uh, the, the, that little falling wedge breakout from the all-time high acre VWAP, the, the, the chart that, uh, that we posted the other day, we got a nice breakout from that little pattern. And now it's uh, trying to build a little daily bull flag and, and break out again. So, uh, you know, we keep looking and keep seeing progress higher. That could change this afternoon, but that, that's just, that's where my focus is to look for early indication. If, if it starts breaking out on the daily, and then the weekly starts falling apart, and then we're back to new lows, and other things are dragging along. And that's the situation is clearly changing. But for now, it seems to be working more towards strengths than 
the other way around. So let's talk about those different timeframes: daily, weekly, monthly, uh-huh. quarterly, right? So any, I know you ideally want to have everything kind of conforming to each other, right? And maybe they are, right? For large caps, I haven't looked at it too closely, but it makes sense that that would be the case. But is there anything that is starting to weaken on 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 a different time frame for you that's like, all right, worth monitoring? The first thing that comes up is is just where the S and P and and the Nasdaq is on on the daily. The, the a degree of extension is something we watch closely as, as shorter term focused uh, traders in a in a trading community. That level of extension is is very important to pay attention to because things don't go straight up forever. Even if, if the market the trend is very strong, there's going to be pullbacks along the way, and that's of course what creates the opportunity. So we want to be at least the long side. That's what we want to be looking at. So, for instance, the chart I posted Saturday again the the weekly chart of the Nasdaq 100 QQQ. It, it gave a topping pattern or potential topping pattern there and indicated that maybe things are a little stretched and we need to come back in a little bit and, and reset. And so that is still going up and, and adding more to that today. But we've got a busy week, lots of tech earnings, FLMC meeting, all that kind of stuff. And so that's who knows which way it'll go. But in, in my estimation, it seems like the likelihood of a short-term pullback is is elevated. So that's one of the things that I'm, I'm watching for. And back to that rotation question, that'll be a, something to pay attention to. Can, if, if, the, if the large caps pull back, where does the money go? Is there still buying? Does it shift to the small caps and elevate those and, and the, the, the smaller biotechs and energy and financials and the things that make up the biggest part of the, of the, of the Russell 2000 there? Are those getting buoyed and, and, and helped up? Or is it selling across the board? Those are those are those different time frame and different intermarket relationships that will give us the clues about what might be coming. You had mentioned seasonality before, and I'm I'm fairly sure you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but we look at the best six months of November to April. Mm-hmm. February tends to be the weakest of the best six. Yep. So that's- you can argue that that's on par. I think it's around mid-February and things start to weak. I think Jeffrey Hirsch puts up some data on that in the past. So all that lines up. Now to your point. Yeah, the, how does the rotation happen? Is it large to small, or if you're going to go with that seasonal pattern, maybe it's a sector rotation, meaning from tech into defensiveness. Now, this lends to a discussion around this crazy behavior that I myself am seeing, and I'm sure you are too, with utilities, staples, and healthcare, much more so utilities. Right? The defensive side of things has really fallen apart. They opened up really strong the first week of January on a relative basis, right? They were the clear winners, and then it just puked. Yeah, the utilities are massively, massively uh, oversold on a relative basis now. And I, I've noted that before. It's like the, the price ratio, and granted, it may not mean all that much, but last time the price ratio of utilities against the S&P was at these levels, it was March 2000, which obviously was the, the top of the, the, the tech bubble then. But how do you think about defensive sector positioning here? Because I got to imagine that there's actually a lot of interesting opportunity to trade lower beta, which is usually not the way most traders think. That that's a good point. And again, that's that's the kind of thing that you can look at that two different ways. Some folks look at the catch up, you know, you have a mean reversion trade there, if you will. Like you mentioned your the relationship of the the S P five hundred to the utility sector and and you can look at that and say, man, this is really stretched and it, it's just got to come back the other way. And maybe it will. To, to go back to the weekly candle again, I think I posted that chart as well. And there's there's a potential reversal candle uh, on that weekly chart. And so we got to watch how that plays out. But to me, I still look at those and say, nobody is positioning defensively. They're, they're buying strengths. They're buying big companies. They're buying growth. It, it's a clearly a risk on appetite uh, attitude. And, and so that 
guides my decision more than the potential for a mean reversion. And, and so now if that, if that situation starts to change, then that will temper my, my outlook and say, okay, maybe, and, and, and again, to your point, and, and Jeff's a whiz with the, uh, with the seasonality data. I love that stuff. And, and he's just one of the best at it with the, the stock traders almanac. And, and all, all of that would line up perfectly for a bit of a pullback over the next two weeks. And so personally, it's, it's time to go a little slower. It's been a great start to the year and, and it's time to look for that pullback and, and maybe go a little slower and, and do a little less as we see how this extension progresses. If the pullback materializes, where the buying goes, if there's buying at all, and and just look for things to reset a little bit here, and 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 then you know take the next setup that comes, whatever that may be. It doesn't sound to me like you think any kind of a pullback would be particularly deep, right? Maybe five percent, ten percent. Is that is that? A, I mean, I know with tech classes you can do measured moves and all this stuff. It's I, I, I from my own quantity of testing, there's no way anybody can really tell sort of the the depth. Right, when it comes to this stuff. We'll be back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. Michael Gaia here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? Then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report slash leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now, back to our discussion. You're right. There's no way to know, right? And so, and, and back to, the, to your comment about these none, the things don't matter until they do, and then they're all that matters. You, right now, as, as, a, as back in the portfolio management days, I was trend-following relative strength. There's, there's real, and, and I'm not a quant guy, I'm not a whiz with the stats like like some folks, but there's real demonstrable data that shows that relative strength works. And and right now, we're focused on relative strength. We're focused on strong trending markets, and that to me suggests that a pull, if we're looking for a pullback, we should expect a shallow pullback over a deeper pullback. Now, that was the same situation right before March of 2020. Right, everything looked really strong. Granted, there was some blow off tops and, and other things that you can some jargon you can throw out there and, and argue that things were very extended leading into that. But I, I would look for a shallow pullback first, and then see how it develops. And, and that's just bottom line. Is like you said, you just never know until uh, it's said and done. So we've got always got to manage risk regardless. So you mentioned the Fed before. Do technicians really? care about whatever happens with the Fed. I thought charts are supposed to incorporate everything and that's all that matters is price. Some people operate that way. I, I operated that way for a long time. Again, back to the to the PM days. At, at, I'm not a fundamental guy. I, 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 I know enough maybe to be dangerous, but it's not the cornerstone of my process. And I, I try not to pretend to be an expert in things that I'm not. So I relied on company data and other sources of, of fundamentals to figure out where we're going to, what, what's going in a portfolio. And then use the technicals to manage the timing and and the risk and and the weighting and that kind of stuff. So to get back to the Fed, yeah, eventually it all shows up in the charts, right? But as a as a shorter term focused trader, and this is this is something that I've worked on learning over the last three years is when you're when you're looking at these at the shorter time frame and trying to find the opportunity, you know, we're all looking at the same charts, right? 
Everybody's got the same data, the same charts. Yeah, we can see them a little differently, but I think there is an advantage and a value in being able to read the rest of the market scenario or to work with folks that have a better read on it than you do, than I do, I should say. And, and so that's something that, yes, as, as a group, as a, as a team, as a community, lots of discussion about, okay, let, let's, let's game play this scenario. What if this happens? What if they say that? What, what could the surprise be? And how might that affect the outcomes and all that kind of stuff? So yes, I, I, I try to pay attention to all that stuff. I'm not the expert, but luckily I, I work with some very smart folks that have a good read on those things and make the process much more robust. But are, but are you actually taking any, any actions in advance of meetings? It's, there's some interesting studies around how the day before, the day of, and the day after, you end up having some interesting performance that's consistent, right? When it comes to Fed meetings, that's on a strategy, almost anomaly type of basis. But in terms of your own portfolio, are, are you doing anything or just watching? Well, it depends on the situation. I'll give you an example. Last week with the PCE data, that was that, that's inflation data that, that the Fed looks heavily to. And, and we thought that maybe there is a, a chance that if, if that comes in light, then that might be the thing that ignites small caps to, uh, to move up a little bit. So there was a, there was a trade there to, get some exposure. I did it through call options so that risk was precisely limited and, and looking for IWM to, to move higher. And it didn't materialize. And so that's, that's all part of the process. But that's just an example of looking at one, here's a scenario, here's a, an outcome that seems likely, and how can, how can we position to try to take advantage? And if it works out to our favor, great. And if not, that's all part of the process. Okay, so you mentioned we're all looking at the same chart. Right. So we, there's always room for interpretation when it comes to being a more classic technician, you can argue. What, what are some of the indicators that you tend to go back towards to really give you some more clarity when a chart may have an unclear conclusion? I used a handful of what I consider pretty basic indicators. I'm actually, I've been writing some educational pieces and doing some videos explaining these. So Thank you for the for the X plug there. Please, you guys follow me there if you're interested to learn more about this stuff and and look up trading adventures on YouTube because this is an area that I'm I'm trying to uh, to put a little more information out about. So very simply, it's it's a candlestick chart with some basic moving averages: eight, twenty-one, fifty, one hundred, two hundred, that kind of thing on a on a daily time frame. I do t- uh, keep an eye on the relative strength index as a way to gauge when things might be a little overdone one direction or the other. I, I've, I've learned the how to use the anchored volume-weighted average price from Brian Shannon, Alpha Trends, Onyx. If, if you have interest in multiple time frame analysis or the anchored VWAP, that is the guy. He wrote the book about it and that has been just a really, really useful tool for me. Again, back to that, the, the Russell 2000 futures chart that we were talking about, that, that anchored VWAP from the all-time highs. That is meaningful. But having the price come back and consolidate right above that level and, and try to bounce again, those are the kinds of things that I see happen fairly regularly. They're not, not foolproof, nothing is, but it, it's certainly worth keeping an eye on. And uh, other than that, Bollinger Bands, just to, uh, again, that's all part of, if you think of the 8 and 21 day or the Bollinger Bands, which, which I focus around the 21 period time frame, it's your equilibrium. And just looking at, is, it, is the situation stretched? Is it too far one way or the other. Uh, are the bands rising or falling? Are they contracting or expanding? All of that kind of stuff, to me, 
helps me get an image of what what the what what a particular stock or index is is doing and what might happen next. What about the indicators or signals that you find other people use on X that, for lack of a way of saying it, yeah, you actually think are total bullshit? Because there's got to be some of that <laughs> stuff that you see, right? Just like I do, where it's like, come on, guys, you can't even test this. Maybe do a little myth busting on, on things that, that you find people think work, but really don't. Look, look there is, there's a lot of really what I would consider off-the-wall stuff out there. One of the ones that, that comes up that seems easiest to poke fun at is like sun cycles or astrology or who knows, but, but people will use anything. And, and I'm, like I said earlier, if, if you can do it and, and repeatedly and consistently make money with it, then who am I to say it doesn't work? I may not like it. I may not want to be, be involved with it and it might be terrible for me, but I, I'm always reluctant to tell somebody that, Hey, this is ridiculous because how do I know? Maybe they're doing great with it. And if it works for them, then fantastic. More power to them. So it, it's, it takes all kinds. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> we'll be back after a quick break. Foodies unite with How You Dish. It's social media with a secret sauce. Food, the world's first network for food enthusiasts. How You Dish connects foodies across the world. Share kitchen tips and recipe hacks. Discover hidden gem food joints and street food. Find foodies like you. Connect, chat, and organize meetups. How You Dish makes it simple to connect through food anywhere in the world. So, how do you dish? Download How You Dish on the Apple App Store now. I guess I guess the problem there is it's like is it really working or is it just luck and randomness? Right? That's, I mean, one's, that's the challenge with this stuff. Always a good question. Is it what's the definition of of working? Is is there have they been doing good with it for an afternoon or or a week or a month or ten years? Those kind of things. And uh, I don't know. I guess ultimately I just I don't concern myself too much with with what might or might not be working for someone else. If it if it's if it's interest, interesting to me and and resonates and uh, I can find a way to incorporate it into my process, like I did with, with Bollinger Bands, like I did with Anchored VWAP, that kind of stuff, then, then fantastic. If I look at it and I'm like, man, this is ridiculous. This doesn't make any sense. Then I'm just not going to pursue it and spend time on it. So by some of the newer things maybe that are popping up on your radar, either new sectors that you think might get some added uh, acceleration Again, we know tech has been where it's at, but let's let's play the sort of other side of things outside of tech and maybe outside of industrials. Anything that you're noting that looks like it could be starting to really move? Um, you know, again, the, the the small cap catch-up trade is something we've been focused on as a as a group. The the healthcare, the biotechnology. My my friend David Prince has had an excellent read on uh, on some some biotech companies recently that have just worked out really well. There's the rotation has been alive in uh, some specific areas there. And those are the kinds of things that, uh, that we're looking at smaller. Energy is interesting because it seems very important. And you look at oil and uh, the producers not doing so well, but some of the refiners are doing very well. And I'm not smart enough to know the, the hows and whys of this discrepancy there. But again, I, my, my focus is always drawn to the relative strengths it, it, more than uh, the laggards, and and so I'm looking at at, at refining things. What, where's the strength? Coal. Coal's been incredibly strong, and and so I don't know. Not exact answer to your question about what might catch up or or come back around, but those are a few things that just come into mind. Another interesting little tidbit is we get back to digging under the surface of of the Russell 2000. The biggest holding 
in that index is SMCI, who reports earnings tonight. There's been a lot of opportunity in that stock recently, and uh, who's the, who knows what will happen tonight. But that's the number one hold. According to the Russell website, that's the number one holding in the Russell 2000. And it's a $26 billion company. It's not even a small cap. So I'm not sure. No real point to that other than just to share something interesting I found about. And they'll reconstitute and, and put everything back the way it needs to be. But just those are interesting things you see when you dig under the surface a little bit. Yeah, and that's been treated with like a meme stock, the way that uh, it's moving. Yeah, and it's, you know, again, to, to rely on my on my team and, and my community here, that, that's that's one of David Prince's looking at this stuff and figuring out and what's, what's the story here? What's the fundamental side of this here? And what's, you look at the, I guess the when they came out and pre-announced and and said, "Hey, we're we're growing a lot stronger than we originally said," then all of a sudden the forward-looking PE is out of whack, and that's I won't say anything more about a fundamental situation there because, as I said, I'm not the expert. But but the the impact was the market says, "Oh shit, this is different. This we gotta we gotta re-rate this. We gotta a- adapt." And so seems to be a pretty cut and dry explanation of why it took off so quick. Now, who knows what they'll say tonight? Do they guide further or do they cut things back and reel it in a little bit? That's a a coin flip in my opinion, but we'll we'll see what they say. But those are, again, just interesting things you see when you dig under the surface a bit. Have you been um, uh, tracking or trading Bitcoin at all? I have looked at it. I've been trading crypto Bitcoin related areas and the uh, obviously the big announcement of the Bitcoin ETFs and that kind of thing. Got a lot of airtime and, and, and a lot of news headlines here recently, but not something that I've been very focused on or, or involved in other than the cryptocurrency related names like Coinbase and Mara and Riot and some of that kind of stuff. Yeah, those have you know, definitely been on fire, which I think is interesting, right? It's the argument of you want to play with the the manufacturers of the picks and axes, not the not the actual uh, commodity itself, you can argue. It's these, and, and it, it, as part of that, as part of that smaller cap contingent, a lot of these names fit that category. And so you look at, okay, is this is this small cap technology sector starting to catch up? Is it is it going to lead? Is it going to keep going? How does it fit in that overall picture? And uh, I don't know, very very volatile and lots of back and forth to keep you entertained there, but uh, can be hard to handle. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, okay, I want to go back to your own trading and your own portfolio. So momentum's there. When momentum is there, I, I'm going to make these numbers that you probably trade less because you want to ride the trend. But uh, let's talk about maybe techniques for managing risk and knowing when you should be maybe be a little bit more active because you can be more active in an uptrend. I'd argue you probably want to be more active in in the latter part of an uptrend that's just let it ride earlier. So how do you think about frequency of activity and where we are in terms of the uh, the Doing that for your own portfolio. Well, um, you know, like I said, it, it, it's right now the large cap indices seem a little potentially stretched, a little extended, and coming into such a busy week is 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 not the fundamental guy, not the guy with insight into earnings reports and that kind of stuff. I don't get involved very heavily in in stocks that are getting ready to report earnings and that kind of thing. And we've we've got the Fed coming. We've got so for me, especially this week, it's a time to be uh, a little more either go a little slower, a little more hands off. Let let the things that are working work, and 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 see what develops. And so that's on on the heels of a strong January. Those are the kinds of things that it, it doesn't always look like that, but those are the situations that lead into a period of saying, okay, maybe we do a little less here with all of these factors combining with the potential or the historical tendency for a pullback into February. 
yeah, maybe we, maybe we take a little easy here. So not, I don't have a, a great quantifiable. I've always thought it'd be nice to, to have a quantifiable system. Like just, just give me a stoplight. Is it red, yellow, or green? And, uh, and I'm sure some people do that and do it very well. I don't have that system. It's, it's just more of a, a way to the evidence and, and putting all the pieces together and then establishing, okay, what, what is this telling me? But that's my process for that. And when you want to play defense, are you raising cash? Are you shorting? What's, what's that play before you? Shorting isn't normally a defensive play. For me, I don't do a lot of hedging. It, it's the best hedge for me is cash and, and fewer positions. If, if I'm taking a short position, it, it's a trade very similar to a long position in the opposite direction. It's, it's the, the markets can work very similarly up and down. Not exactly the same, but so, so I do take short trades. I do look for that kind of thing. And when the situation dictates, not afraid to do that, but uh, it, it's again, it's a it's a trade decision much more often than it is a hedge or a defensive move. Yeah, and yeah, you know, I'm I'm very loud about shorting doesn't work. It's like whenever somebody says, "Yeah, markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent." It's like that's only true if you short. It's, yeah, it's that's just it, it's funny how people don't seem to understand how dangerous shorting is. For me, shorts are always a short term kind of a, a quick hit. It's not Tesla, for instance. There's some folks out there that seem to be, it's like long-term short Tesla positions is the whole is the whole play. And again, if it works for them, great. I'm not trying to disparage what someone else is doing, but we do know that over the long term, the market goes up. It tends to go up more than it goes down. And, and so for me, as part of my process, taking a short position is a, is a quick hit. It's, you've got to be very strict with your risk management on those and don't overstay your welcome. Speaking of that, don't know which city you're welcome. There's always the question of when do you trim something that's really working, right? So, because there's a temptation, we just let it keep on compounding. But of course, the more you do that, the more concentration risk that there is. That does work, right? For those companies that become the next Apple, mm-hmm. right? That's how you get generational wealth. But of course, as its own risk. So, as as a as a, as a position on a relative basis gets larger and larger in your portfolio, yeah. Do you do anything about it? Do you trim? If you trim, when do you trim? Let's talk about that side of the risk management. All right. Now, now, now we get into the psychology behind a trade or or the whole process of trading and and looking at two sides of this. And let's look at the the longer term side first about the real relative strengths trend following traders, Jerry Parker, the Turtles, those those kind of folks that have had amazing careers doing this kind of stuff. They they put on positions and and, and I'm let me let me clarify. I don't pretend to know precisely how Jerry Parker or the Turtles or anybody else does things. But the general idea is that you put the trades on when they work and your win ratio might only be 30%, but you're holding those trades until you get that signal to get out. And and so you never get the bottom, you never get the top, you get a big chunk in the middle. And you hold, you know, presumably nearly a full position size through the life cycle of the whole trade. And if, if, if you've got the system in place and the rules and, and which affords you the mentality to do that, that's fantastic. Coming, coming down to the shorter time frame, I, I trim things very quickly. It's the, if you look mathematically, sometimes it's tempting to say, if you just held your whole trade until you got the signal, you'd be wildly more profitable. And, and of course, that's, Maybe there's some truth to that, but there's the ability to look at that on paper and the ability to do that in real time are not always the same because you, the, I learned early on one of the hardest things to do is manage a winning position, right? So if you put a position on, it goes down, hit your stop, you're out, you're done. That's a piece of cake, right? You might not lose any money, 
might not like losing money, but but the trade's over. When you buy a position and it goes in your favor, and now all of a sudden, let's say you're up many R multiples or you've got a nice profit show in there, unless you sell at the very top, everything you do is wrong, right? If you sell too soon and it goes up, ah, damn, I left money on the table. If you sell too late and it comes back down, ah, I lost out letting it come back against me. And so those are that's one of the more difficult things to, uh, to manage. And so, uh, uh, again, one of the things that David always says is sell some and hope you're wrong. And so scaling out a position and taking some profit helps you manage the, I should say it helps me, I think it helps a lot of other people too, manage the trade more effectively by sticking with it. And then as that risk-reward ratio kind of vacillates, when it gets very heavily skewed, out of favor, then you take some off and then maybe it comes back in and allows you to put some back on and you trade around the core position and that kind of thing. But long-winded answer to your question about when to trim. And uh, for me, taking some of the position off at a profit very quickly is is a big part of the process. Um, For those who want to track for your thoughts and your work and yeah, people that, that consider themselves technicians but are not CMT chart holders like you are. Where would you point them to for your work and maybe just spend a little time going through what uh, you recommend from an education perspective when it comes to being a, a technician? Okay, lots of just endless amounts of resources out there. Twitter X has been just a great way to for me to meet and talk to folks like yourself who have been doing this longer or differently or in different capacities. This is, you're, you're one of the CMTs that I, that I read, started reading long ago. And I was like, hey, this guy has written some papers and, and they're award-winning and he's probably pretty smart. Maybe I should pay attention. And there's a lot of those folks out there. So X is a really good place to start. I, I'm, I'm, I post a lot there. I post a lot of charts. I repost a lot of things that I read of others that looks like really good work. So follow me there. Go to my website, tradingadventures.com, and the uh, corresponding YouTube channel for more. The um, CMT Association is just a fantastic organization. They've got um, a really good program, a really good process for getting a, a formal education about technical analysis. If, if that's what you're looking for, I, I can't recommend it enough. And uh, feel free to shoot me a message if you've got questions about how to get involved. There's some really good trading communities. Like, like I said in the beginning of the call, I'm with T3 Trading Group out of Lower Manhattan. Really solid organization. They've been around a long time. And their, their sister company, T3 Live, is the educational side of things. And you can get involved with the community there. The one that I am spend the most time with and in on a day-to-day basis is called the Inner Circle. It's with a fellow named David Prince and Rick March and Kira Turner. Really smart, accomplished traders that have been doing this a long time and a great place to look around. So you can find links to that in my Twitter feed or on my webpage if you want to learn more about that. You follow Andrew. I've got a number of spaces lined up this week and next week getting back into the swing of things now that I'm no longer having the flu. So support Andrew and hopefully I'll see you all later in the week. Appreciate you, Andrew. Michael, thanks for the time. Always, always enjoyable. So thanks for having me on. Take care. Cheers, everybody. The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own.
A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Leadlag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, and check out the Leadlag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.